So let's let's we all right. So we've spent we spent the the previous episode talking about uh, your your thoughts on band methods and kind of this beginning approach and and even learned how to uh, uh, whisper to horses and <laughs> which was completely unexpected but very uh, enlightening. So let's talk about uh, life and teaching in a rural school. Uh, so many times I think when students are getting their music education degree, they they you know they have these intentions of going to some you know one of the big schools and being a high school band director and being able to paint clouds in the in the in the sky with their conducting of playing their grade 5 music and having their 300 piece marching band and all that kind of stuff and they might even think that you know teaching at a rural school is beneath them or maybe less challenging or whatever but you've made a, a career out of it and a successful career out of it what were your thoughts initially? You know, how did you feel about teaching in a rural school when you were in college? And then how has your thoughts changed or maybe solidified uh, over the course of your career? I never, I'd never had thoughts on rural, urban, suburban, in terms of where my education was going. I grew up in Hillsboro, which is, you know, um, about 15, 20 minutes away from where I teach and live right now. So, you know, it's everything's in Jefferson County. So I, I always had an idea where I would like to have, um, you know, I, I was raised in Jefferson County and I always thought that I would probably come back, you know, cause my mom and dad um, are still alive and they still live here. And, you know, a lot of my family is as well. So I didn't have a lot of concepts uh, or thoughts about, well, I only want to teach in, in a, a city school and I, I would never teach in a rural school. Um, I didn't even think in terms of, of small or large because I don't even think I had a concept of that um, in terms of, you know, some schools around me were really large and some were not. And I didn't really pay attention. It wasn't a thing to me. After I got done with Jefferson College, I transferred to Edwardsville for a, for a semester and then I finished up at... Umzel, through my my undergraduate degree at University of Missouri St. Louis with Dr. Richardson and uh, Marvin Sparks, like I did think though I I wanted to be a high school band director. That's all I wanted to do for a lot of the same reasons. Like I wanted to, you know, conduct all of the great pieces, you know, that that we played in college, and then I student taught at Riverview Gardens High School, which was a great experience. Um, I was there with Kevin Walsh. So I got to see the marching band side of things, which I'm not, uh, uh, you know, I don't have a long, big pedigree in marching band. We had a marching band in high school. Um, that was, that was good. I enjoyed it. I had a, a ball with it, but my college experience didn't have any uh, marching band at all because I went to Jefferson college, Edwardsville, Umzel, none of them had a marching band. So hmm. when I did my student teaching at Riverview gardens, that was like my first introduction again, to marching band from when I was in high school and uh, Kevin Walsh ran a fine program back then. Um, they were competitive. So I got to see the, the competition side of things and how camps worked and all of that good stuff. And at the end of that experience, I'm like, yep, this is it. I'm just going to be a high school band director. This is what I want. This is cool. I like it. And then um, I student taught with Mary Petrillo at Melville and she did five through eight. I even, I walked in with an open mind. I wasn't thinking that, oh, I'm not going to teach middle school. It was like, oh yeah, this will be fun too, but I really want to be a high school director. 
And then when I saw her teach and when I listened to her bands, she had like the probably the best middle school band I'd ever heard up until that point. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. Whoa, wait a minute. Middle school bands can sound like this too? That is awesome. So, you know, studying with her, I, you know, we talked about why her bands were so good all the time. And, you know, a lot of it is, is are, are the concepts that we covered in the last podcast. But my experience with her just opened up another door. So at that point, I was really excited because the learning curve of a middle school musician is super steep. I mean, if you think about it, they go from in beginning band and let's just say sixth grade band. Now they go from August of their sixth grade band, you know, barely learning how to put the thing together to at the end of their eighth grade year playing sometimes grade two and a half grade three literature. Mm -hmm. Right. So that learning curve is exciting to somebody like me because you're like, mm -hmm. you know, this is awesome. I get to see it in real time. So when I finished my student teaching, my only goal at that point was, I think I just want to do it all. Like I want to do middle school and I want to do high school and I want to gig and I want to, and I want to, and I want it. I just wanted, I wanted it all. Yeah. So that was more of my concept or, or my thoughts coming out of college. And then I started, there was a couple schools um, that had job openings pretty early. And I interviewed for two of them. One of them was Jefferson R7. At the end, they offered me the job and I took it. And I thought, this is great because I just finished student teaching with Mayor Petrillo. Uh, she taught fifth through eighth grade. I'm going to teach five through eight. Like, I'm just going to be the best Mar Mary Petrillo I can possibly be. Right. And, right. Then after, and then after a while, it was, I did have thoughts again, like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to, to teach high school. And at that point, our district was talking about adding a high school. So I left, uh, I left the district for a year and then came back. And when I came back, we started talking about building the high school or, you know, working to pass a bond issue to build the building and, and all of that. So for the first, oh goodness, I started in 2000, the bond issue passed in 08, if I remember, and then the high school opened in 09. So my whole life has been, or my career has been like a series of transitions. I went from doing a K through eight, um, going to another district, coming back, and then starting building a high school from scratch until finally, you know, I got to, got to do it all. So I, did, I do like the autonomy of starting beginners and then graduating them. You know, right. times like if I'm in high school band and I want to complain to the feeder program, I just go look in the mirror <laughs> and have a talk to talk with that guy <laughs> and say, hey, man, what have you done to me? <laughs> and then it's like, we've got some things to fix and then we fix them and then we can see, you know, the byproduct of that later on. But starting in a rural district, there are some misconceptions. Like it's a stepping stone job. Like that's a good one to get started with until finally that, that big, you know, that big job that pays a lot of money that does this, that, and the other, that's the one that you really want. I've never been motivated by money. It's not a concept to me. As long as I've got, you know, enough money to provide for my family, you know, roof over our head, uh, you know, we get to eat and have a good time. I'm happy. Like I, mm -hmm. I I've never been because if, if, if money was a big thing, I probably wouldn't be in public education, mm -hmm. but you know, uh, I'm motivated by other things. So 
I think another misconception, like one thing that kind of bothers me when I hear people talk and, and use words like stepping stone and like, oh, you know, it's a good starter job and all that stuff is, is look, I don't care who you are or where you're at. Like every single child deserves a quality music education. Mm-hmm. So when people make comments like that, and it's not a dig on them, it's more like me internalizing it. I just think of it as like, when you make a comment like that, are you saying that kids in the smaller rural districts don't deserve as good a job or as good a teacher or as a good a musician or as a good of a program because of A, B, or C. So I also kind of take that as a, a point of pride. It's like, no, I, I love teaching in a small school. I, uh, and life is a series of trade-offs, you know. There are things that we can do in our school that I know that they can't do in the larger schools, right? Mm-hmm. The larger schools – uh, well, the, the crazy methods that we talked about, you know, in the last uh, the last episode. Yeah. If, if you're working in a larger district where they've adopted a curriculum and they said, look, every single building must use this book and they must do this. Right. I don't think I'd be very happy in that kind of system. You know, I like the idea of using education as an experiment. And every single day you get to try something new to see what works and what doesn't work. You know, and I'm fortunate and blessed enough that in this district, they've allowed me that that freedom to experiment and fall flat on my face and stand up and brush off and and work try something else. You know, and I think it's it's made me a better educator because of it. Um, I and think that's are- the challenge, though, with small schools, right? Is that you're 100% correct. You've been given the freedom, uh, the, f- the freedom to create and the freedom to experiment and even the freedom to fail. Like you, you could have failed and, uh, and been okay. But sometimes I, I, get, I get the impression from some small schools, not all small schools by, by a long shot, but some s- small schools that they're offering band because they're required, uh, they kind of don't care what happens with it. And so then it becomes entirely dependent on the type of educator that gets in there, uh, whether that person cares. And I think everyone that gets into education cares in the beginning, but we've all met some people who stopped caring at some point. And maybe it was because they didn't have support from their administration or maybe support from their community or whatever, uh, or maybe they just kind of burned out, which can happen, you know, uh, but then didn't know what to do. So they, they stuck with it. But I think that's probably where, that could be a, a, a danger zone for some districts, whereas it may be harder to fail and continue to fail at a more visible district, where a district where maybe you're, you're, it's more obvious what you're doing. Maybe. Um, I think that, well, first of all, I think that the, the direct or the, the band is kind of a reflection of that director at all times. And I, say, and I say that, you know, even myself, if, if the band is not performing or if they've got a sour attitude, the first thing I have to look again is that mirror going, all right, is there yep. something that I'm doing? What am I doing wrong? And then, you know, move from there. Small districts also create an opportunity for that because sometimes, well, oftentimes this time of year, actually, you will see lots of job openings around the area or around the state, right? And then mm-hmm. if you watch you know, those websites often, you'll notice that it's the same school districts that, that tend to pop up because, you know, teachers will use that as a stepping stone or feel like that they have to move on. Um, it, might, it might be financial. It might be because of family. It might be uh, lots of reasons. But each time a director leaves a district, right, then there's 
the feeling of the community that this is an important and it's not yeah. a big deal. So, and I even got that when I first started here, I was the fifth director in four years, something along those lines. So by the end of, there was a lady who taught here for 30 years. And after she retired, there was a lot of turnover. And mm -hmm. then when I came here at, when I finished my second year of teaching, you know, somebody told me like, you're the longest tenured music teacher we've had here in like 10 years. And I was like, are you, whoa, for real? And they said, yeah, wow. because after Ms. Purcell retired, there was turnover and nobody would stick around. Plus, I think anybody who sticks around for any length of time, the community will get behind because they're like, mm -hmm. you know, somebody's taking ownership and somebody's, you know, planting some roots down. So I, th I think that's the other big part. That last thing you just said is putting roots down. I, I, I think I see people move a lot uh, from the smaller schools because they didn't move to that area. So maybe they're commuting to that rural school. I, I know someone yeah. in particular that has nearly a two hour drive each way to school and back mm -hmm. uh, to teach. You know, every year that they're there, I'm always amazed. Like, man, I can't believe she's still there teaching there. Like, that's that's a long way. That's almost four hours a day. She probably she. I, I think she actually spends a little over three, three and a half hours a day just commuting. Sure. And then you know you're uh, you, you know what what life of a, of a band director is like. Think about those early mornings and the late nights and everything else. And now tack on an extra hour and a half to that. Like. It's really hard, I think. And so then if a, if, a, if a school position comes open, that's a 15 minute drive from your home. <laughs> I can see why that would be really tempting for somebody. Oh, you know? absolutely. And look, no judgment on my part by any means, because I know there's there's lots of reasons why people stay or leave. And mm -hmm. you're right. Like if if you know, you're trying to find that first job and you're like, my commute is this long, but my family's back here. Like I can mm -hmm. understand that being kind of temporary, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm more cautious of the people that, that don't have that reason. It's more of like, no, 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 I'm just right. going to stay here for a little bit until I move on to bigger, better things. Right. You know? So tell me some of the benefits of teaching at a, at a small school. Autonomy. Um, your, your own feeder program. So again, you kind of get to design kind of the curriculum or, or what you would like to teach. Um, there's a lot of enthusiasm and not that there's not in a large one, but it, there's a lot of community pride that seems to wrap up. One of the things that I love about uh, teaching in a small school is uh, what I learned in freshman psychology. And uh, the teacher told the story about, look, if I am in a room of a hundred people, and I have a heart attack, there's a good chance I'm going to die because the other hundred, the 99 people are going to go, somebody else has to take care of this. Somebody else needs to call 911. Somebody else needs to, right? If, if you are in a room with one other person and you have a heart attack, you have a pretty good shot of surviving of the odds because that person will feel personal responsibility to make sure that you're taken care of because they don't want to mm. be, the, you know, they, they don't want you to, you know, to pass on their watch. And I kind of took that same philosophy to, to schools. Like when I started teaching at R7, so it's a small community. I say small, we've got like, there's 300 kids in our high school. Our, our entire music, or I'm sorry, our entire school district, pre-K through 12 is about 1,100 kids. You know, every teacher knows about every kid. And we mm -hmm. know, you know, a lot about them. So that when you know, we're teaching or we're making modifications or, you know, we can put on that personal 
personal connection to everyone because like myself, I've had the same kids in my band program from the time they were in fifth or sixth grade. So I get to know these kids for six years. That also means I get to know their parents. And then mm -hmm. when they graduate and move away and then get married and come back and bring their kids, now I'm starting to teach the kids of kids that I used to teach, you right. know, back when I first started, you know, and when you start building those relationships year after year, generation after generation, you know, there's a sense of, of, uh, of calm and, and familiarity that I think works in our favor, you know, plus once I decided I started, I lived somewhere else. I lived about 30 minutes from here when I first started teaching here. And then after five years, my wife and I bought a house and we moved, you know, a couple minutes away from the school. So we've been members of the community now for 15, 16 years, you know, and that also helps out because again, roots are down. People know that you're, you know, you're here for the long haul and you're wanting to do what's best for, for the kids of the community. Yeah. You know, the other thing is one you, of the, you, you get oh, kind ahead. of, sorry to interrupt you, but I just, yeah. before we went on to something else, you do get those roots in your community that is hard to get in a, at a bigger, a city. I remember the first time I actually even thought about this was a conversation I had with Curtis and Allison Tipton, uh, and they teach in the Springfield district and, and, uh, Curtis is at Parkview high school and Allison is at, uh, Pleasant view middle school. Curtis just like his goal. He just really wanted to go and be in some small town and him and Allison, and they wanted to be, you know, co-teach band uh, from six through 12. And he just, he wanted to be the town band guy, you know, that when he'd go to the grocery store, people would say, oh, hey, that's Mr. Tipton, the band director. And like, you know, go to the, the maid right and they'd know who he is. And the auto mechanic know, hey, Mr. Tipton, how you doing? Like, he just wanted that whole, that idealistic kind of small town life. And, and to hear him describe it, I was like, boy, that is kind of charming. Like, it's very quaint and beautiful. And, you know, I don't know as, as good of a band director as uh, Troy Peterson was uh, uh, here at, Spr at Springfield Kickapoo High School. I, you know, I'm sure Troy runs, runs into students and stuff all the time, but he can probably generally go to the grocery store and not know anybody there. <laughs> Whereas if he would have been the band director in West Plains, or I'm sure with you, you go to the grocery store, you go out to eat in your town, like you're pretty much always going to count on you're going to see a parent or a student, <laughs> student anywhere you go, which I, has its pluses and its minuses. Right, <laughs> so. that's true. That's true. No, uh, that, I can relate to that a lot. Um, you know, being around here for as long as I have, I've taught you know many of the students that are in this community and parents um and yeah we can't go anywhere <laughs> and plus i've had the i've had the fortunate time of of doing a, a lot of all district bands whether it be like you know as a guest conductor or a jazz clinician or something along those lines so mm -hmm. then you start you know reaching out and i remember i was in fredericktown and i had somebody walk past me and go hi mr sykes i was like hey how are you doing and my kids go who is that and I was like, oh, that was Johnny. He played drums in that band that one time that I conducted the honor band. And she goes, you, you remember his name too? I, said, I do. <laughs> we can't go anywhere. <laughs> so, and, it, you know, and, it, and it's nice. But that's also helped out in other ways. Like, <laughs> you know, years ago I had truck problems and my truck was on the side of the road. Everyone knew who it was and they made sure that, that my truck got towed. You know, yeah. and I was helped out quite a bit, you know. So there are times when obviously you want anonymity, but for them again, life's a series of trade-offs and I'd rather have that all day, every day. 
Yeah, yeah. It's cool. Yeah. And I think, and kind of coming back to the small school things that I was going to mention earlier, you know, I think part of, um, I think part of the reason why people, or at least one reason why people leave school is like, all right, I'm in a small school, but I really want the larger one is when I took this job, my, my goal was never to compare myself to other programs or other communities or other teachers. I wanted to just be the facilitator of that community and just serve the community as best I can, thinking that if I was coming into this community, every kid here deserves a quality music education. How can I best provide that? And doing that and comparing yourself to other districts who have different um, values is exhausting mm -hmm. and, and it's too much. So I think sometimes people are like, well, I can't, you know, my bands are not as large as so-and-so and so-and-so, and, -so, and they'll never be that way. So I need to move on, you know, and try to find something that can be kind of always searching for something else. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, I've always felt calm, like, no, I, you know, and as long as the board and administration have allowed me to like, just create that musical opportunity for the community. Like I'm very comfortable in some of the decisions we've made over years you know, and, and some of that has been, you know, kind of controversial, like no longer participating at festival or no longer or not doing a traditional marching band or, you know, some of these outside of the box things. You know, I just said, look, here is my vision and here's my justification and here's why I think we should do it this way. And people were supportive going, hey, that makes sense. Let's try it. And if it doesn't work, then we'll figure something else out. And, and it was a couple of years ago when I was uh, the jazz vice president for MMEA, you know, we write articles, you know, four times mm -hmm. a year for the publication. And I remember the topic that came up was, you know, they're like, all right, we want you to talk about the importance of traditions in your community. And at this point I was like, I, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. Like this, no, I'm not doing this. And then <laughs> I was talking to my wife and I said, and I'm just kind of ranting. I'm like, what am I going to talk about traditions? I said, look, we started as a K-8 district. You know, I was the however many band director in four years. Um, you know, we built a high school from scratch. Every year was completely different. Now we're doing this. Now we're doing that. And I said, you know, our tradition is this. If we like something, we keep doing it. And if it doesn't work, we change it. And she goes, well, write an article about that, dummy. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> Boy, that's uh, very appropriate to the world we live in today, right? I mm -hmm. mean, thinking about politics and things that's in our uh, culture and news today, it's like, yeah, we're keeping the things we like and that serve us well, and we're getting rid of the things that we don't. And, and uh, that's whether it's monuments or statues or policies or laws, that's how we're handling it. God, wouldn't that be so much more productive if we did it that way? Yeah. And that's too logical. We can never do that. <laughs> So then tell me a little bit, you, you mentioned that one of the things you changed was uh, doing something different in lieu of traditional marching band, yep. uh, which traditional marching band at this point is kind of an oxymoron because uh, the modern marching band is sort of the antithesis of traditional. Uh, but, but tell me, uh, so what are you doing in lieu of that for your high school outdoor performing ensemble? So uh, we're still at all the home football games um, and we do pep tunes. So we're a pep band in the stands. Um, the, the difference is we do new music every game, uh, 
So I treat it kind of like our basketball season, but uh, the concept was I wanted to treat the Friday night football band like one of the top 40 gigs that I've played in, in, in the past, you know, where you show up, open up the folder, the clients wants, wants to hear this music. That's who you play for. And then, it, and everybody has a good time and they dance and then you leave. So right. we, we just took the concept of, of, uh, of kind of like a wedding band you know we want to play songs that the people are going to recognize something that they're going to know something they're going to enjoy um knowing that they're probably not going to hear this song at the next game because we're going to have some new stuff for them so we still do parades uh we do our homecoming parade that uh, sorry uh, do do you combine that with a a field performance of some site of some sort no we don't touch the field nope so all that's done from the stands. So during halftime, you're just playing from the stands. Yeah, uh, we have our uh, we have bleacher stands that are located on the track. We face the bleacher stands kind of at an angle on the track. So we're actually playing up into the stands, up into the press box. Gotcha. Um, so then everybody's looking down at us. Gotcha. Uh, while we're on the stands, and then we're also on the stands and can be you know in close to the game, and then you know we play the fight song when they score and all that good stuff. Any issues with your students? Like if, if they if they were to go to college and participate in a college marching band, they'd have to then – well, you said you're doing parades. So you're teaching them marching mm-hmm. um, and stuff like that. But like, you know, are they, have, are they having to learn drill and all that stuff for the first time in college when they go in? Yeah. And they're fine. Well <laughs> – I mean, not know, that many are going in and, and, and doing it. Like I don't know that I would change a whole program just because – seven kids are going to go march at Mizzou or something like that. And so I, I was just, I'm just trying to get clarity of, of how you're handling stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, in the early days of our high school, I, I had a student that graduated from here in 2013 and we weren't even doing parades back then. We did our, uh, we did a homecoming parade, but that was it. We didn't do anything um, outside of the community. We did our quick homecoming parade on that Friday afternoon and that was it. So she had barely a concept of marching at all. Right. And then she went to CMSU and within two years, she's a drum major. Hmm. And then when I talk to other directors, the, the common thread is, look, your kids, they will show up and play. And if your kids can play, we can teach them how to walk and play. Right. <laughs> I've heard that more than once. Yeah. Yeah. So, but and, and I'll tell you, it's even evolved a little bit. Like, you know, we do more now than we've ever done. And next year, we're going to do our very, very first parade competition ever in the history of all humanity in our district. You know, because, again, try new things. If you like them, great. And if you don't, that's fine, too. I've thought I've long thought that parades would be such a great way for a small school to set themselves apart because, you know, we often see, you know, young director, they're at uh, Broken Hubcap, Missouri, and they're taking their 17 piece band to marching contest to Ozarko. And they're just going to go get crushed because uh, that's super fun and uh, and then not make finals and turn on and come home. And, and I thought, man, there's there's places where you could compete in parade. And most bands, when they do parade, like they don't actually really put on any kind of performance. They just walk down the street and play either their part of their show or generally a, a, a single stand song. Like wouldn't be wouldn't take that much effort for a director to decide like, hey, let's actually put a little bit of movement in our parade and actually develop like a, a street performance for that and you could probably kill with that even with a smaller group yeah well you know uh the thing about our parade is like it's not one concept in our rural community is we also we don't have a town 
like we are in unincorporated Jefferson County. So we don't have streets. We don't have, <laughs> we have a highway and we have subdivisions, you know? <laughs> We got but, this dirt road and the kids ride their horses. To <laughs> I mean, it, we're not quite that rural, but, but like we don't have aldermen. We don't have a mayor. We don't have. Right. There's no uh, downtown. Nothing at all. There's no like main we, street. Yeah. No, we are rural. Gotcha. So okay. Like even for us to do a parade, our parade is really, you know, we, we march around campus because I can't take them out on the highway. Sure. <laughs> You know, there's no town square. So it's not like we're a small city or a small town with gotcha. a governing body. We are an unincorporated Jefferson County. Our, our, our school district is the center of the community. The absolute Inter center. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that was the other concept. It's like, well, I mean, well, plus, you know, another part of my interesting uh, per opinions and personality is I downplay competitions as often as I possibly can. I, I'm just not a fan of them, you know, for all mm -hmm. the reasons, kind of like you mentioned earlier, you know, small school goes to a big program and they get crushed. And then it's like, well, what was the point of that? Mm -hmm. um, also music is very uh, subjective. Like it, it's, it's a, it's a lot based on opinion, you know, mm -hmm. it, uh, basketball competitions. I can understand if I get more points in the baskets than you do, I win. I, mm -hmm. it's, it's not that clear cut in music and the fine arts. So, mm -hmm. But so we, we downplay that quite a bit, but we are, I mean, again, we're doing our competition and we've done them in the past, but we just downplay them. Like we don't mm -hmm. even really mention them, show up, have a good time, play as well as you can, enjoy the experience and leave just like, I, just like I do for any gig, you know? It's certainly overrated for sure. I mean, I, I, you know, when I was in high school, my school was really competitive and did a lot of competitive marching events and, and I definitely enjoyed that and had a lot of great memories with it. Sure. But then my college that I went to, we did drum corps style shows with fewer sets, but the same arrangements. And man, that was a that was a blast. Like we played just fun music. It was challenging and you know, difficult, but it was a lot of fun. And I didn't care that we, I mean, that we weren't like competing. We were performing. Like that's, and as a musician, that's what I want to do. I want to perform. I don't right. care if I win. You know, when, when I played with the four state wins and when we got to perform at, at MMEA, we weren't doing that to hope to win. We weren't doing that to hope to be the best ensemble of the week or to get some trophy. No, we just wanted to perform and we, right. and we wanted to perform for our peers. And it was definitely one of the most nerve wracking uh, performances of my life just because like, man, like these are people that I respect and admire and now they're going to sit and listen to <laughs> to me me and ev everyone else play but it was also the most rewarding as as we're making music together and and having just some really beautiful moments and to be able to share this with your friends and peers like mm -hmm. whew, like that's just that was amazing i can't can't wait for that stuff to start back up again yeah. <laughs> i'm so eager to get back to playing again but you're right so it, it should be more about performance and, and less about you know did you get a trophy or not yeah I agree. So we downplay it. Our, our parade marching has has evolved again. Like I said, we're going to do a, a a couple competitions in the fall. But again, it it's really more of um, getting the kids out of getting out of our community and out into the world, so that they can see you know other other programs, other everything. Especially, and I'm and I'm, you know, just as passionate about that now, especially after COVID. 
you know, because we've been locked up for so long and mm -hmm. been able to cut. So the moment we get a chance to kind of get out, like we're doing it. <laughs> because you're not have you're not doing like the competitive field show and and maybe all the uh, so many of the things that you see at a bigger program. Does that give you a better work life balance or? which is a bit of a misnomer, but uh, I'll, I'll leave it just in, just because. Or do you still have a terrible work-life balance because you're having to do all the things? Um, like that's a hard thing for a lot of band directors, right? A lot of band directors, it, for one thing, it's, it's any band director that stays long, married longer than 10 years, it's it's a miracle because uh, they just are gone so much. You know, they just have so much time commitments taken away. So it, is that is that better? At a rural school, is it worse or is it the same? I don't know because I've only taught here. Um, so I, I have nothing to compare that to really. Um, I do know that minus a, a lot of marching competitions in the fall, like I'm doing a lot of the same dates everyone else is, you know, large or small. Like we're doing all district and all state and auditions. Mm -hmm. And we don't do, we don't do uh, state large ensemble festival any longer but we host our own that's uh non-competitive so i'm that takes up more time than going to traditional state-sponsored um mm -hmm. festival so i think i think it really depends on the director you know and whatever the director has determined whether or not what they think is important and what they're going to be doing or not you right. know my balance my balance has never been awesome because from the time I was 15, I started working and, you know, I went from gigging and teaching to, you know, or, a, you know, from the time I started working, I was working two or three jobs and then I started gigging and then I was teaching private lessons and I was going to college. And then when I started teaching here, um, I still kept up my gigging schedule, you know, and up until COVID I was probably performing, Oh, anywhere between 115 to 135 dates a year with the various bands and, you know, sub work that I was doing. So I wouldn't say that my, my balance was great. Like I just, well, it probably it is up. though, because the fact that you could do that, you know, and, and if, if, and that's another really good example for people that may also want to perform still is that, yeah, if you don't have uh, Saturdays that you're taking your band to contest a uh, marching contest, that's a Saturday that you could gig, you know, that's a Saturday that you can play, uh, that it would, you couldn't do otherwise. Yeah. But like I said, minus, I don't, I don't know what's an average marching festival. Like how many, how many marching competitions do you average? Well, if you count like rehearsals and everything else on through weekends, it's August through October. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a quarter of the year, <laughs> you know, and then, you know, it's, I mean, it's substantial. Yeah, I was. I guess I was just thinking of the Saturdays. I mean, because we, again, we're not doing the competitions, but we're doing we're doing the football games, we're doing the rehearsals, we're doing the all district, we're doing all state, we're doing the you know Christmas parades and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, so if they do an average of, I don't know, four or eight marching competitions a, a fall, then yeah, I'm not doing those. But um, but you're probably also spend. I mean, I don't know, but I'm assuming that you're spending less time like i i kind of have this love hate relationship with marching band like i love watching dci you know it's a really cool thing to watch and and i enjoyed my years participating in it 
but I look at like how much time we spend learning eight minutes worth of music to put it to motion on the field. It just seems like a huge, and, and the money too. Holy cow, the amount of money we spend on marching band. It's, it's a lot. And I often mm-hmm. wonder if it's worth it. And uh, the, the time and money invested in your traditional marching band, I'm just assuming that if, if I was a high school director and I'm not doing a field show, that gives me a lot more time and less of demand for resources that I could be spending on other things uh, with my band Well, uh, and with res- my life. Well, resources-wise, yeah. I mean, we take our budget and obviously invest it differently. But also keep in mind that uh, directors in my position also teach six through 12. So, mm-hmm. you know, for everything that, that one would expect a middle school band to do and a high school band to do, like gets wrapped up into one person. So I would say, yeah, I wasn't, I definitely wasn't trying to imply that you don't work as hard. If, if that is somehow, I didn't take it that any, way. Okay. If anyone did, I, I, I definitely wasn't saying that. No. I just was thinking that you'd have, I don't know. I feel like you're able to do, more like you're able to kind of see more you're spending your time in that six through 12 you're spending your time on doing various things and not spending a lot of time trying to perfect an 11 minute field show i don't know now I'm, i think i'm just ranting about field the amount of time marching band takes <laughs> no, no, I, I do understand what you're well I, I think i understand what you're saying now um no i didn't feel that you were saying that at all i just think that you know as i've said you know life's a series of trade-offs and if you're not if and if a director is not doing this thing they're probably doing another thing that's taking up just as much time it's just not as visible mm-hmm. you know sure and and, and, I and it might be more productive though i mean you might be doing something with your time that is doing more to enhance a student's musical education than you know spending because i don't know how many hours are spent uh, i mean it wouldn't take larry long to figure it out how figure out how many hours your typical high school is spending a marching band uh but it is it's 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 probably the largest amount of time i know it's the largest amount of money uh that's spent it's probably also the largest amount of time spent for that one performance that's then just repeated over and over and over again yeah I think you're right. And that's another reason why we do things the way we do here. <laughs> you're you're kind of getting me convinced that the small school is the way to go, man. Like the more I think about it, the more I'm like, it's kind of a sweet gig to be at, be at a, at a, a smaller school. I mean, there's, especially if you're into music education and not into just marching band. Ooh, I love that comment. That's pretty loaded. I like it. <laughs> well, I think I just got canceled probably from a bunch of, a lot of our accounts that are like, hey, uh, it's been nice working with you. Uh, <laughs> I see an edit in your future, Donovan. <laughs> no, nah, I'm too stupid to edit. I'm going to leave it. But I, I, th- I, well, I know for a lot of the accounts that we have, like I, I know they they struggle with that same that same issue. I think a lot of us thoroughly enjoy the, act- the marching activity. And I, you know, gosh, go to BOA or whatever and watch some of those groups and just like, wow, it's, it's amazing. But then like, Look and see how much time is spent on it. Look and see how much money is spent on it. Like that's also amazing. So, I don't know. It's, it's know, certainly something to consider what the value is. And allow me to clarify: when I watch a a well put together marching show or a BOA show, I have nothing but admiration and respect in the amount mm-hmm. of time, energy, and resources that go into that. And creativity. Right? 
sure and 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 the skill the skill of teaching that like that's no easy thing to teach all that stuff like absolutely it's, it's impressive sure but with the same amount of respect that i have for that i also understand that i cannot take this community and school district and say, by God, if we are going to, you know, be relevant, we have to do this exact same thing. Cause this is the only way to work. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, and by that same token, people on the other side, I would hope that they wouldn't look at the work that we're doing and say, well, they're not a real band program because they don't do X, Y, and Z, you know? And if they feel that way, then I don't care. Well, <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of candid conversations with people. I, I never hear that from uh, people in the field. I never hear that from band directors. I, I think they all, I actually think there's probably a lot of admiration and respect at the people that are at the large schools, because I think they feel like they have a lot of resources, staff and funding and communities, stuff like that. Uh, and when they look at the smaller schools, they just think, man, I don't know how. I don't know how Ron Sykes does it. I don't know how Chris Sprague does it. I don't know how these, you know, these people uh, do all that being, you know, the, 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 per, the sole person in charge of it. So I think there's a lot more admiration and respect in the field. I have a hunch it, it, it's probably, that's probably not known by maybe like collegiate students, you know, because again, I think yeah. a lot of a probably, I think the numbers would probably bear out that a lot of the kids that go into music education, I don't know this to be true. I could be wrong. If someone knows I'm wrong on this, please correct me on it. But uh, the number of kids that are involved in music education at the collegiate level, I, I would imagine a, a number of those are probably perhaps a majority came from some big program. You know, they came from Fox or Blue Springs or Kickapoo or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they're, kind of in it. And so because like, just like me, I, I, I came from Tulsa union I did my student teaching at broken arrow. Like, so yeah, when I was going to be a band director, I wanted to be a band writer at a big school. Cause that was all I knew. I had, had never, you know, I mean, I, I started band in a small school, but all my real formulative years were in a big school. And that's yeah. what I, that's what I had experience with. So if you hadn't had experience with the other, then you, it would make sense. You'd think that way. Absolutely. What are the downsides to teaching it? Because I feel like we've done a really nice job over the last 45 minutes telling everybody how awesome it is to teach at a small school. What's the parts that's not so awesome? <laughs> um, Going to the liquor the, store? Maybe that's would, a, little, a little better now <laughs> than it used to be. But I remember my wife, when we first she started, first started teaching in the 90s, like she wouldn't hit the liquor store that was in the town she taught. She'd wait until she'd get out of town before she'd do sure. that. <laughs> Sure. No, I, I think, think it's a little different now, but yeah, I think so. I think you know. I think um, the unpredictability of what happens at a small school, because your instrumentation might be great one year and less than desirable the next, or you might have a plan like, man, I think we're going to be able to play this piece of music, and then something happens, or they add a class, and then when they add a class, that affects your enrollment. Um, so it's that it's that unpredictability that comes with small schools. It's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, in larger schools, well, I'll, I'll say this is a double-edged sword because I think it's a great thing, and I also think this is a challenging thing. But the constant sharing of students, you know, from my point of view, I love it. I think it's great. I, I love well-rounded kids. I love the fact that you know, in the band program, I've got star athletes and you know, kids that are on the quiz bowl, and like we've got this nice representation of the student body in the 
in the BAM program. Um, mm-hmm. It's also tough for planning everything because mm-hmm. you're like, well, that game's scheduled, that's game scheduled. And so three ga- sports games are scheduled in one night. And it's like, all right, well, and you want the band there, but they can't be because the, you know, so the mm-hmm. constant uh, sharing of the students is a real, it's a challenge, you know, and we work through it fine here. Some years better than others, but for the most part, we do a great job of doing that. That also means sometimes you take away some opportunities don't come that way because of the constant sharing. That was the other mm-hmm. reason why we uh, chose this way of doing high school band without the marching band, because my goal again is to give as many kids a music education as possible. And I want them to be involved in music all mm-hmm. the way through high school. And if I start doing too much of like the marching band thing, and there's going to be too many more nights, you know, Wednesday nights or Thursday nights that the kids are gone right after they get done with their football practice or right after they get done with their volleyball practice, then it's going to start, you know, wearing some of them down and I'm going to have fewer and fewer kids sign up for that class again, thus bringing the numbers down, thus not as many kids in the community have a music education. So I try to make it as accessible as possible, but at that same token, you know, there's certain things that we can or can't do because of that small school, but we do as much as we can, you know? So I would say the, probably the unpredictability, you know, because you don't know what's going to come around the corner and, you know, COVID was a really great example of that, you know, because we had, because of, last quarter, just like every other band program across the world is you use that third and fourth quarter for your recruitment for the following fall, where you take the groups out and they can perform and the younger kids get excited and, and you get that payoff. That was the other thing about fourth quarter last year. The kids didn't get the payoff. They didn't get the end of the year concert where all their hard work kind of came, came, you know, to one final performance. So that combined with us not recruiting, you know, our numbers are low again, like everybody else in the world. But when the numbers are low in a large school, you can take a couple of years of a buffer and then those numbers kind of work itself out for smaller schools. Like it, you, it goes down yeah. and then, you know, you just start rebuilding, which is no problem. Like I've said before, you know, we, we built it before we'll build it again. Unpredictability. I yeah. would say. What about uh, financial resources? Do you feel like, you have the same resources that larger programs have. Do you feel like it's more challenged? How's that? No, I'm very blessed to be in this district. Financially, we're in good shape. For example, when I bought the drumline equipment however many years ago, we didn't have the budget for the top of the line, which is fine. It's like what we're going to be doing Middle of the line is going to be just fine for us and we'll Mm -hmm. take care of it and everything will be fine. And then um, because of the uh, long-term plans and like sticking around and building relationships, like that's another thing that, you know, the budget has been very good, you know, over the last couple of years. And I would say that there hasn't been a time in I would say the last 10 years where I've gone to admin and said, look, we really need this. And for them to go, no, it might be like, not this year, let's plan for it. But they've mm-hmm. always been very open to um, to purchases and, and supporting the program. So I've been very blessed in that way. So in terms of like, is my budget larger or smaller than anybody else? I don't know. I just know that um, you have you know, what you need. I have what I need. And if I need yeah. something, because they all, because even early on when I was talking to um, 
when the superintendent first started working here, I just made one comment and I said, I want you to know I spend district money the way that I spend my own money. And that is I don't. You know, I'm very frugal. If I'm making a purchase, I'm going to make sure that it's of high quality, that we won't have to replace soon, but it will not be a frivolous expense. I said, I treat this like my own place. And then once we kind of had that conversation, you know, he understands that whatever, um, if I'm asking for it, it's it's a necessity. Mm-hmm. If you have what you need, that's, uh, and again, and I, I, she hates that I always talk about her, but uh, with Belinda, when she, her, she started her career in, in rural schools, she always had what she needed. She always had, you know, there was always good community support there. Anything she ever needed, district always made sure she had. She actually has a way more restricted budget uh, teaching at Springfield, largest school district in the state, than she ever has at any other place that she's ever taught before. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll say this, but um, part of working in a school district is I have what I need, but I've had to work tremendously hard to get that. And here's an example. In the first couple of years I started working, I believe the only working instrument I had in the band room was a concert bass drum. Okay, so we didn't have hardly any school-owned instruments, right? And if they did, they were just like, you know, they haven't been maintained in 50 years. Mm -hmm. Um, The timpani, the pedals were broke. They they couldn't tune. um, And the heads were, I believe, the original heads. Um, That's not exaggerating. And I'm from the 50s. I'm not lying. I went to the superintendent at the time. He's no longer with us. He's alive. He just retired. But... uh, (laughs) But, you know, and, and, and he said, well, what do you need? And I wrote everything down, you know, and, and the thing was, I didn't write out this budget for a 5A school, you know, competing at yeah. DOA. It's like, I looked at really the demographic. I looked at the numbers in the program. I looked at what I thought could be grown in terms of, of numbers in, over the next couple of years. And I just said, this is what I think we need just to be on par with the other middle schools in the area. And he looked mm-hmm. at me, he goes, that's great. He goes, write it up and present it to the board. And I went, uh, uh, okay. I, I have to present it to the board. Yeah. It's your program, isn't it? I said, you want me to go in front of the board of education in my second year of teaching and ask for $20,000. And he said, yes. I went, okay. Smart. <laughs> but who better to do it? Like he can't explain why you need timpani. Like he doesn't know what they are. They don't know what they are. I mean, like no one's gonna know why you need this concert snare drum or what's what's wrong with the tuba we've got. Isn't a tuba a tuba? Like, you know, they don't they don't know. Like, yep. who better to do it? And it it, it worked. It, but it was nerve wracking because I was like, I thought I submit. I thought I just submit to you, and then you tell them or ask them or I don't know how this works. I'm in my second year. He's like, right. no, go ahead. And then I did it. And, and they, you know, questioned me on everything, every little thing. Well, why do you need that? Well, why do you need that? So I justified every little expense and they finally approved it, but not, not before, not before working me over, man. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> I got to tell you, Ron, you make teaching at a small school sound really appealing. Sometimes more appealing than, than uh, owning and operating a bunch of music stores. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, I tell you, like I said, I think sometimes, sometimes it's just mindset too. Like wherever you're at, you can be happy doing what you're doing. You know, yeah. you just yeah. you just have to 
because I mean, I can tell you right now in the last couple of weeks, we've had some really challenging times with quarantines and COVID and like preparing for a concert and, you know, kids being virtual and doing less. Like there are plenty of things to yeah. kind of be sour about, especially this year. But I just refuse to do that. I was yeah. like, you know, we're going to take this as an opportunity. COVID is going to teach us some lessons about what's really important in the program and how we're going to deliver instruction and making sure that, you know, we put the needs of all the kids first at all times because we don't know what they're going through at home with COVID and families and whatnot. So yeah. I just looked at everything like this is, again, it's cross-training. The stuff I'm learning this year is just going to make me better tomorrow and better next year. And I would hope to think that, you know, no matter where I was teaching, large or small, rural, uh, suburban or urban, I'd had the same the same outset. I love people that make me think. I love people that help that change my perceptions or better inform my knowledge on something. And and you definitely have an outside the box way of looking at stuff, which I totally totally dig. Uh, <laughs> it's really great. As I always tell my kids, hey, I'm like an onion. I got many layers. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's for listening to the Mo Better Bands podcast. If you have something to share, click the links in the show notes of your podcast app and leave us a message. Or email me directly at donovan at springfieldmusic.com. That's D-O-N-O-V-A-N at springfieldmusic.com. If you'd like to be a guest, would like to recommend a guest or a topic, shoot me a line. Thanks again for listening. Hey, everybody, and welcome. This is Donovan Bankhead with Springfield Music, and I appreciate you dropping in and listening to the podcast. With the Bow Better Bands podcast, my intention is to talk with our fellow educators across the state and share some of their best tips, tricks, and best practices. Also, maybe even share some of the things that they're struggling with so that we can help each other out because we're all dealing with so many of the same issues and your, and your programs. And us, as your school music dealer, want to try to be a resource to help you solve some of these challenges and issues. So uh, anyway, we always appreciate you listening. And if you have ideas or tips or would like to be featured on the podcast, reach out to me and let me know. Donovan at springfield-music.com. All right, let's jump in. Hey folks, I want to hear from you. If you have thoughts on today's episodes, have a suggestion for a future guest, or just have something you want to ask or share, look in the show notes of your podcasting app and click the link to send in a voice message. We'd love to hear from you.